The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the word, and, and the word is motivated slightly by the medication. I'm serious about that. I mean, I was in prayer just thinking, well, God, what, what do we need to hear? And what I heard in my spirit, I just thought, well, that's what I need to hear, but what do we need to hear, you know? And, and I want to bring a word about uh, being gracious, being gracious. Uh, we, we've talked about graciousness before, along with some other elements of, of uh, uh, things in the scripture that are godly that we're called to, but I want to talk about being gracious this morning, and I, I hope that the timing of it is important and 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 uh, uh, meaningful for for you and where you're at. I, I know it will be for me and where I'm at, uh, especially if I continue to take these silly meds. So uh, I want to get into the word this morning. Here's a few things that we're going to find as it concerns uh, the, the message that we're we're going to step into together here. Uh, one, we're going to find the foundation of, of the blessing. I mean, it's, it's a foundational element of the priestly blessing that God reveals to, to the ministers of, of his kingdom, and it's meant to be a, a very important thing for us to know and understand, the foundation of the blessing. Another thing we're going to find is uh, what comes before forgiveness, now, forgiveness is a really powerful element in the life of the believer. I mean, I am a, a, a born-again Christian because of forgiveness, because God has forgiven me. Now, forgiveness is something that is, is really amazing in the Scripture in that it is received in the same measure that it's given. I mean, Jesus made that very clear. If you forgive those that have forgiven you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't, it's going to be a problem. I mean, he makes that pretty clear. That we need to be a people that are willing to forgive those who have hurt us, who've wounded us, who have afflicted us in whatever way, gossiped against us, slandered us, uh, uh, assaulted us in any way, shape, or form. We've got to be a forgiving people or, or it's going to be a real challenge to walk in the manner in which we've been called to walk. So what comes before forgiveness? We're going to find that in the scripture and I think that'll be really helpful for us to be the forgiving people that we're called to be. Uh, another thing that we're going to find uh, is, excuse me, uh, uh, who we need, uh, or sorry, what we need in order to be like God. And, and now this is something that I think when we hear that, it can assault our ears. You know, what do you mean be like God? Well, you were made uh, in his image after his likeness. That's how man was created. So obviously God intended for you to, to look like him. To, to, to be like him, share the same motivations in, in your heart and, and the same uh, attitudes and actions that he would have uh, toward creation. So there's, there's some elements that make up uh, who God is in his being and in his person, and we can mirror and mimic those in how God's made us to be. So I want to get right into the word here and, and talk about the, the heart of the blessing, the foundation of the blessing. It's the first thing that I mentioned we would find, the foundation of the blessing. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 6. Numbers, chapter 6. Numbers, chapter 6. I want to look at verses 22 through 27. 22 through 27. Numbers, chapter 6. Now, what you see here in, in the book of Numbers is God is revealing to Moses 
what is meant to be revealed to the priests, the priests, those who minister uh, the ministry that God has revealed for them to take to the world. Now, for you and for me, we need to understand that this is our identity, that God has purchased through the blood of Jesus a people, that's you and me, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, to be a kingdom of priests. You're called to be a priest in the kingdom of God. So this blessing that's meant to be released through the priest is meant to be released through your life. And as we look at this blessing, I think it's important for us to examine what makes it up. And, and I want to read this to you and, and point out one specific element of it. So beginning in verse 22, you see, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is how you will bless the sons of Israel. You will say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And it's in this way that the priest will invoke my name among the sons of Israel and I will then bless them. So when I read this passage of scripture, I, I see something really important and, and I hope that it's something that, that you see as well, that the result of this blessing being released among the people is the, the blessing of God being released among the people. I mean, look at that last line. So my name shall be invoked on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. So for, for me as a priest, what I see is there's a need for me to carry this blessing, not just on my life, but release this blessing through my life. It's not just something that's meant to be spoken over me or something that I'm meant to receive for the purpose of having peace and having the, the blessing of God in my life. Rather, it's something that I'm meant to carry and impart through my words and my actions and my attitudes in order that the blessing of God might touch those around me. And the same goes for you as, as a blood-bought believer, a priest in the kingdom of God. So I look at this passage of Scripture and I, I see something. I mean, we could break down every element of it and, and identify really great things, and perhaps we should do that in a series sometime. But what I want to do is look at a specific word that's, that's foundational here. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. The Lord be gracious to you. That he lift up his countenance and give you peace. When I read this, and it might just be me, but the word gracious seems to be the center point, the bullseye, so to speak. As if you were looking at a target and you saw, you know, the bullseye's right in the middle and then you get a little further out and a little further out. You're being drawn into that center point, that, that point of aim, you know, the blessing and the keeping and, and the face shining upon and gracious to you. And then you have the, the countenance being lifted and the result being peace. For me personally, the word gracious stands out and I want to talk about what it means to be gracious. I understand what it means for God to, to smile at me or, or for him to to look at me with, with, with gentleness or kindness. But that word gracious is one that tends to escape my vocabulary often. I mean, I can cast a glance at someone and grin and smile. In fact, I, I, I do that a lot, and, and sometimes it's odd and awkward. I mean, I held the door for a guy the other day, and I smiled at him, and he laughed at me. And I just thought, well, you know, I, I don't know what that's about, but... I don't think that I'm going to stop smiling at people, but I think he had a good time with it. He thought I was weird, uh, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. So I understand what it is to, to, to 
alter your, your countenance in order to be kind or gentle or polite. I've, I've shared this before at, at one time and, and maybe more than once, but since I'm a, a pastor, I get to tell the same stories over and over again, and that's okay, right? I have a free pass to do that. I remember when my sons were, were newborns, and, you know, you, you, if you've ever been around a newborn, they're very needy. They have all kinds of, of needs that require urgent attention, and, and as a parent, you, you provide that attention. Uh, they were twins, obviously, and so there was a lot of attention needed all the time. And, and there was a, a time period there where I, there wasn't a whole lot of sleep going on. You know, you were constantly changing diapers, preparing bottles. Not only was it twins, but it was our first children, first and only children. So you're doing everything by the book, right? I mean, at this time, I'm boiling everything to sterilize it. I mean, if we had another kid today and I dropped their bottle on the floor, it would get a sleeve wipe and then it just get shoved in the kid's mouth, you know? <laughs> That's kid number two, right? That's like, that's, you've been there, done that. I mean, first kids, you take it, you, you, you pour out the formula, and you boil everything, and you, it's, just, it's, it's just kind of funny. And then, you know, you get to where you're seeing your kid lick the floor, and you think, I think this bottle's okay. <laughs> you know, he's licking the floor, and we're going to be all right. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're doing that. And I remember changing a diaper. And as I was changing a diaper, I remember thinking, uh, you know, I might need some ministry for my child because my child is, is giving me this look. And, and it's a look of, of deep anger. I mean, I didn't know a kid could contort their face like that. And I'm staring and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's wrong with my, my beloved child? And, and then I realized something. I realized he's just mirroring my face. And I smiled. And then he smiled. And there's, so what I realized here was that there's something that's contagious about your countenance, your look. I mean, the, the look that you're going to show the world is a look that the world will be affected by. And, and the, the goal in this is to see the world then reflect that, that look back to you. It's meant to have this, this ministering effect. I mean, I think it's really interesting that part of that blessing is that God make his face shine upon you. That he simply look at you in a favorable way. And it causes me to realize how destructive my body language is when I'm disappointed or frustrated. When I begin to scowl and I begin to frown and I begin to shoot looks. It, it, I realized that I don't have to say something threatening in order to have a threatening effect on a situation. I need to control how I appear and how I look. And part of this is, is, is an element of the blessing that we could discuss in detail later on. I want to get to the part where we're, we're going to, and that's being gracious. I, I, graciousness is not just in our words, but it's in our attitude. It's in our body language. It's in every aspect of how we are responding to a situation or a circumstance. So I want to just look at, at graciousness as a solution for a moment. I see graciousness as God's solution for our, our needs. I mean, we all have needs in our lives, things that we need to see God respond to. And, and I want to offer some of these to you. I mean, uh, as Christians, as believers, I'm sure that part of your, your Christianity is made up in a prayer life, you know, where you take your, your prayers to God, 
And it's not just a one-way street where you're simply saying, you know, like you're, you're writing a pen pal that never writes back, dear God, you know, please be aware of this, this, and this. Hope to hear from you soon, you know, signed Preston. But, but rather prayer, <coughs> excuse me, is this, this uh, communication, conversation, a two-way reciprocated fellowship where there is request being made known and there's response to the request. But you'll see at the foundation of, of this relationship that we would describe as prayer, you'll see graciousness. I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture that I've got linked together here. Psalm 4, verse 1. Psalm 4, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O Lord. I mean, if you just stop there, what you see is you see someone who's willing to speak to God, who's willing to enter into a, a, a prayer situation, and they are anticipating response. Answer me when I call, O God, God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. I mean, you could read that as simply a, a, a poetic way to, to write. You know, the psalmist is, is obviously bringing this in the form of music and poetry. Uh, this is a, a prayer that's being released, but it's being released in this artistic format but you also have to understand that it's absolutely inspired by the Holy Spirit. These aren't just extra syllables to make it fit the musical uh, 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 melody that it needs to fit. These are in inspired words revealing to us what opens up the door for our prayers. That God would be gracious to us. The idea that he would listen to our prayers in the first place is under no obligation that he has to us, but rather it's simply his kindness toward us, that he would simply be gracious to us and listen to our prayers. That, that tells me something now as, as an individual, as, as a man that's made in the image of God and after the likeness of God, that for me to live a life of graciousness, I need to be a listener. I mean, if I'm going to be gracious toward my wife or my children, I need to pay attention to what they're saying and listen. If I find myself being so caught up with my own life and my own uh, desires and my own likes and my own dislikes, where I begin to tune out the voice of others, I will be living a life void of graciousness because graciousness opens the door to hear the cry of others. There's been much of my life that's been lived outside of graciousness. It's been very selfish. And the more that I begin to see the need for graciousness in my life, the more I begin to be aware of the needs of others around me. I'll give you another passage of scripture that's yoked to that one from the Psalms. Psalm 27, verse 7. Psalm 27, verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. So it sounds really similar to what we just read, right? But, but listen to the difference in the main points. The, the one that we read out of Psalm 4 said, Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Then what we just read out of Psalm 27, Be gracious to me and answer me. So you can see that the common thread is graciousness. That it, there's nothing owed, there's no obligation, but rather the, the call is, one, to be heard, and then two, to be responded to. So let me just show you my clay feet for a moment. I mean, the biggest area in my marriage where I would, would, would need ministry, an area where I'm a total jerk, there are times when my wife will speak to me and I'll be so focused on what I'm doing that I won't even hear her talk. 
And when I don't hear her talk, then I don't respond. I mean, that's really a negative thing. Would I want that to be the measure measured back to me in any relationship that I have, especially my relationship with God? No way. So what I see here is a challenge. I mean, I see a a, a challenge of listening and responding and doing things in an appropriate way that's beneficial for relationship and fellowship to thrive, not just in marriage, but in any relationship, in friendship, and in in working together on any any kind of a team environment. The need for communication is absolutely vital for success. And what I see here is where I've had the challenge with that, you know, listening and, and responding And if I see that as the problem, then I'll be put in the position where my desire is to simply be a better listener or to to be more of a, a, a good responder in a situation. But what I see here is what I need is actually what produces a listening ear and what produces a gentle response, and that's graciousness. I mean, I could just spend my time praying, Father, make me a better listener. Please make me a better listener in Jesus' name. Make me to respond gently in Jesus' name, that I wouldn't be a total grouch, that I wouldn't uh, uh, you know, just let things annoy me and then I, I, I spout off with aggression or, or with an edge. But what I see here now is what's actually needed, what produces that listening ear and what produces that soft response is graciousness. I can introduce that into my prayer life. Father, let my mind and my heart be saturated with your graciousness, that your graciousness might have a profound effect on who I am. That graciousness would prevail in my heart and mind. And then let the results be as they should be, that my ear would be attentive and that my tongue would be gentle. Let me be a gracious man, that I might mirror your attitude toward me in my attitude toward others. Graciousness meets our needs. I'll give you another passage out of the Psalms. Psalm 25, verse 16. It's a cry to God, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. I'm lonely and afflicted. So I I read these things, and you got to forgive me because my brain can be a little nutty sometimes, but I see two things there that are challenges, loneliness and affliction. And I see the psalmist under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit requesting the cure for loneliness and affliction, these two things. Now, for most of us in our culture today, uh, we would see the cure for loneliness as relationship or, or you know, bring, bring me a friend, bring me a companion, uh, bring me a spouse, bring me whatever would be the need for that loneliness. Uh, we would see the solution to affliction as vindication, you know. Go punish those jerks that made things hard for me or something like that. But what we see is a Holy Spirit-inspired solution to two major problems that touch almost every person's life, loneliness and affliction. How many of you have ever been lonely before? You don't have to raise your hands, but I guarantee you every hand could go up. How many of you have ever felt afflicted before? Again, don't raise your hands, but I'm sure it's everyone in the room. So then what's the cure for this? Based on the psalm that we read, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the psalmist cries out for the cure, the graciousness of God. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. These things, again, can have a profound effect on our prayer life. 
where we begin to see God revealing the solution in his word and no longer simply offer our lamentation about our loneliness or our lamentation about our affliction, but we begin to surrender to God's solution. Father, let me surrender completely to your graciousness, that your graciousness might be welcomed into my heart and into my mind to have an effect on my situation. Let your graciousness prevail over my loneliness and over my affliction. Here's another one from Psalm uh, 6, verse 2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. I mean, this is obviously a health issue. It's obviously a, a sense, or whether it's literal or whether it is metaphoric, of, of wasting away. That there is a, a desire to have a, a strength and to be vibrant and to have life. Again, whether it's literal or whether it is metaphoric, in this situation, we're looking at the solution to this wasting away being graciousness. Father, be gracious to me. Be gracious to me. And let there be strength and purpose to my life. I'll give you another one here from the psalm. Psalm 41, verse 4. Again, talking about healing, but in a different way. Oh, Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. Your soul being, you know, in the elements or the realm of your mind, where your will and your conscience, your imagination, your emotions, your, your intelligence and your intellect, where these elements that make up your person exist. The idea that God could bring healing to those areas is, is absolutely and, and amazingly, profoundly uh, desirable. It's, it's an area where we all need that renewal. That's, that's where the renewal of the mind and the promise of the renewal of the mind in the scripture bring tremendous encouragement that we could actually begin to be ministered to and behave and function differently and not be stuck in old habits that are destructive, but that we can be delivered from those habits and begin to create new, godly, productive, fruitful habits. All of this is the result of God being gracious. I mean, as I see graciousness and I see its absence in my life, I see the need for me to pursue God's graciousness. I understand that God's made all of his graciousness available in Jesus Christ. That there is a way for us to step out of the darkness and into the light, to be born again, to be born of God and the fullness of God's kingdom. What I'm speaking of here is about stepping into and surrendering to that which God's made available to us in his being and in his person. To begin to lay down our ways and our thoughts and take upon us his ways and his thoughts. We'll see in a moment how important that is. I want to give you a few passages of scripture to link what's going on in the gospel to what's going on in your life right now with God's graciousness being introduced. As we come together and we celebrate the, the things that Jesus has done on our behalf at the will of God, we celebrate that he would come and minister and bring the truth to us. The word says that grace and truth were revealed through Jesus Christ. We celebrate that he would would bring the word to us and that he would take our place upon the cross. The, the word that the scripture uses is propitiation, that what was meant for you, he would take for you. That cross that you deserved, he took that. 
And then that he would rise from the grave just like he promised. Then that he would go away to the Father and and say that this is a good thing. Don't, Don't be sad because this is really the point. If I don't go away, then the Father will not send the Holy Spirit. I need to go so that the Holy Spirit can come and I can be with you always, everywhere, all the time. Not one man in one place, but that I might be with every single one of you. So I want to read a series of scriptures here, and I want to attach to the idea of what graciousness actually is. Obviously, we see the effects of it, that it's God's solution. It's at the foundation of the blessing that we need graciousness in our lives. But when we begin to see what graciousness is, it makes more sense as to why it's so important. I want to give you a passage from the Psalms, Psalm 30, verse 10. Psalm 30, verse 10. It reads like this, Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. We have this this cry to God being lifted up. Again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit being released as, as this prophetic call. God's will being revealed in this prayer. The call being for God to be gracious to us The description of what that would look like or what that would mean is God being our help. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. It starts to make sense of why graciousness is so important, so necessary, because we and those around us are in desperate need of help. I'll give you another passage from the psalm, Psalm 54, verse 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. Uh, Psalm 72, verse 12, it speaks of those that are needy and cry for help. It says that God will deliver the needy when they cry for help. The afflicted also. He will provide his help to the one who has no helper. So we see this manifestation of God's graciousness being this provision of help. And as we look at the gospel and the point of the gospel, we see the point of the gospel being God bringing help into my life and your life. As we come to the ministry of Jesus Christ and he speaks of the things to come, as we approach the cross and we see the propitiation made for you and for me that he would take our place, as we come to the empty tomb where we see Jesus declared the Son of God, many prophets were put to death, but only one came out of the grave and he is declared the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God with power as the scripture describes and it is the most documented event on the earth. And then as he would ascend into the heavens, to to declare that the fulfillment of God's promise is coming and as the disciples would wait in Jerusalem for the fulfillment of that promise and the Holy Spirit be poured out, just as God would declare, we see the fulfillment of what God would bring into existence through the gospel in the provision of help. I want to give you a few passages of scripture. John 14, 16. John 14, 16, Jesus is speaking and he says, I will go to the Father, I will ask him and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. You'll see in John 14, 26, and in 15, 26, and in 16, 7, the Holy Spirit is constantly revealed as your helper. A manifestation of God's graciousness towards you, that he might be gracious to us and provide us help. 
So I go to, to look up the word gracious because I want to understand what it means as we entertain the word and its importance in our lives. Graciousness. Marked by kindness or courtesy. I have to ask myself how many people have encountered me and walked away and said, wow, that guy is both kind and courteous. Why did you just laugh at me? It's my wife laughing from the front row. Marked by kindness or courtesy. Uh, the word, and when you break down the word in its origins, it, it, the, the, the meaning is merciful or benevolent. Now, I like the word benevolent. We don't use that word very often, but, but we ought to. Uh, benevolent is a very strong word to use. In fact, most ministries that are ministries that, that give outwardly, don't just receive and take in, but give outly, are referred to as benevolence ministries or, or benevolent ministries. And in this case, the word benevolent is one that I think we ought to, to highlight in our vocabulary. So let's go to the dictionary with benevolent. Benevolent. Organized for the purpose of doing good. Marked or disposed to doing good. When you look at the word benevolent, obviously the result of this word and its definition is to accomplish something that would be defined or identified as good. I think this would define the ministry of Jesus Christ that we're called to walk in. I'll give you a passage of scripture that we use often when we discuss the ministry of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 10 verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, as, as the word's being ministered, a declaration is being made that, that Jesus Christ is identified, and then he's described. The word reads like this, Acts 10, 38, you know Jesus of Nazareth and how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he then went about doing good or being benevolent, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What an amazing passage of scripture that Jesus would be identified, that he would be identified as one that God anointed or that God was gracious to and provided help or the Holy Spirit, just like God would send the helper to be gracious to you. And that upon receiving that help, then Jesus could go and provide help to those who were afflicted. Because just as we read through the Psalms here, the solution to affliction is graciousness. For you and for me, as we begin to live our lives according to the word of God, as God would, would call us into his kingdom and bring a new birth in, into our existence, that we would be born again, old things passing away, new things coming. Among those new things is the graciousness that brings the solution to the world's hurt and the world's need, the world's rejection. Everything that has the world in pain and suffering and sorrow, we carry the solution. And that solution is packaged in the graciousness of God. So I mentioned before that we would, would find what we need in order to be like God. I, I want to find that, but before we do, I want to look at what comes before forgiveness. Because for us to walk in the manner in which we've been called to walk, free from the burden and the affliction of, of sin and corruption, it doesn't only require us to live a life of repentance, that we would renounce the, 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 the 
the lack of, of morality and the lack of character that would have stained our lives, that wouldn't just be this renouncing of sin and corruption, this praying of a sinner's prayer, but rather there's also the inclusion of the release of those who have afflicted us. I mean, Jesus made it very clear that, that the ministry that is, is released in his name is both repentance and forgiveness. When we minister to, to needs in the church here, uh, whether those needs are counseling needs or those needs are, are spiritual needs of, of freedom in situation or circumstance, we minister both sides, both forgiveness and repentance, that we would repent for the, the decisions and the choices that we've made in rebellion and that we've made in iniquity, and that we would forgive those who have brought affliction into our lives. And I can tell you, the forgiveness is equally as potent, powerful, and important as the repentance. Forgiveness is an important and necessary part of the believer's life. To walk in unforgiveness is to walk uh, in bondage, in affliction. I want to give you a passage of scripture here to see what precedes forgiveness. Before we look at this scripture, I want to ask a question just to get your wheels turning. Is there anyone right now that you believe that the Holy Spirit would, would bring about a, a righteous conviction that you need to forgive? I mean, I'm not asking you to stand up and say it out loud, but, but just to make the message a little more proactive. Is there someone that, that you just believe right now in this moment that the Holy Spirit is revealing to your heart, you know, they've afflicted you in the past, maybe you've thought time would take care of that. I got news for you. The world says time heals all wounds. The only thing time does to a wound is introduce infection. Time doesn't heal a thing. Healing is what heals. But for you, for me, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want there to be a, a proactive response. I mean, is there a need for me to forgive a, a person of, over a situation or a circumstance? And then, and then I want to offer this. Is forgiveness an easy thing? Uh, it, 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 it can be. It can also be very complicated. I mean, I, I have stepped into forgiveness before and then been assaulted and met with uh, the hurt and the wound that was present from that need for forgiveness and the forgiveness has been greatly hindered by the effects of the, the action. And, and it's been a very difficult and challenging thing to walk through. So in this situation, what I want us to do in this passage of Scripture is identify what comes before forgiveness. So that we can be equipped to walk in the forgiveness that we've been asked to walk in. That same measure that has been measured to us in Jesus. Let me read the passage of Scripture to you so that we can all get on the same page. Luke chapter 7, I want to look at verses 41 and 42. Remember, the ultimate goal here is forgiveness, but I want you to note what precedes the forgiveness. So here in Luke, you see Jesus sharing a, a parable, he, or he's, he's telling a story, actually. It's, it's not a parable. And he's identifying certain people. So when I hear Jesus say there was a certain man or something like that, I generally believe this to be a, a true event, an actual thing that, that Jesus is aware of, and he's sharing the story or the testimony. But he talks about two people that owe a debt and somebody who is the one that they owe the debt to. And he, he gets to the point here in verses 41 and 42. He says, a moneylender had two debtors. One owed him uh, 500 and the other owed him 50. When they were unable to repay... 
He graciously forgave them both. Now, we can continue to read the, the, the story there to get the point that Jesus is making, but I want to stop there because the point that we're making in this message is one, the importance and the power of forgiveness, and two, what was there before the forgiveness. When you read that passage of Scripture, what stands out? You have uh, two people that are in debt, and the one that they're in debt to, when they were unable to, to repay, excuse me, graciously forgave them both. Do you see the word graciously? Graciously forgave. Graciously forgave. When I see those words side by side, I'm not sure that you can divide them. That forgiveness is going to require graciousness in our lives. And if forgiveness is required of us as believers, then it's, it's important to me. It, it, I can now understand why God would go out of his way to see to it that graciousness could enter into my life by the Holy Ghost. That I could have the help that I need to do that which I'm required to do. Graciously forgave. Gracious, by definition, meaning benevolent. That, that willingness to do good. Marked by kindness or courtesy. If we only respond to the word of God when we feel that, that it, we are owed that response or that that response is owed by us, we'll come to a place where we're outside of graciousness. We'll come to a place where forgiveness is very difficult to come by and that will open the door to being in bondage to unforgiveness. But for you and for I, God's made a way for his graciousness to enter into our lives, for us to have the help and the assistance that we need. When I'm faced with a, a, a need to forgive those around me, and it's challenged, I see in this passage of Scripture where I need to go, how I need to pray. Father, fill me with graciousness. Let your graciousness fill my heart and my mind and let it spill out onto this situation that I might be able to find the benevolence to forgive. That I might be able to find the, the kindness and the willingness to simply do good. That I would become less interested in what I'm owed and what was done to me than I am in releasing this person who's unable to perform. Let me come to a place where I can be like you, where I can be gracious and let graciousness have its effect that I might not be found in the bondage of unforgiveness, but that I might be able to measure with the measure that's been measured to me in Jesus, complete and total release out of no obligation at all. I mentioned before that there were things that we need in order to be like God, and graciousness is, is one of them. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture for your notes, and I want to, to close. But Moses, in his desire to, to know God, to not just know about him, to know him, asks God to reveal his ways. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses says, let me know your ways so that I may know you. I want to know the motivations of who you are. Not just know what you do, but know why you do it. God responds to Moses and he says that he'll pass before him and reveal his name before him. And in Exodus 34 and verse 6, you see God make good on this promise. And he begins to speak his identity to Moses. 
And as he identifies himself, he identifies himself as the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. For us to function and operate in the image of God and after his likeness, those are the words that will need to describe us as believers. And if we remove graciousness from that description, then it's incomplete. For us to be the, the sons and the daughters of God, to walk with, with, the, with his DNA making up who we are and our identity, it's going to require graciousness. Which of all of the reasons given in the scripture to pursue graciousness and desire graciousness, I can think of none greater than to fulfill our identity as the sons and daughters of God. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do a work in our hearts. To do a work in our minds as it concerns graciousness. That willingness to be benevolent, that willingness to be kind. Even though there's no obligation from the world standpoint to do so, that call and that need to be like God and its effects in every aspect of our being I want to pray and I want to ask God to do something great in us that will have an effect on how we think and how we speak. I'd love to see its effect in, in, in our lives, in every aspect of our communication, our verbiage, and our body language, that we could become a gracious people and that the result of that, that we would be a forgiving people and that that would produce a result, that as forgiveness is released, that there would be a celebration and freedom, that it would be evangelistic, that men and women would be drawn into the kingdom of God as believers walk in the way they're called to walk. So they walk in graciousness. So there where you stand, I want to pray. I want to ask you to join with me. You can be in a state of agreement or receiving. But I want to ask God to do a work in us, to reveal that which is marked by the doing of good, that's benevolent, that we might become gracious in our words and gracious in our thoughts and gracious in our actions in new and powerful ways. That we might prioritize the graciousness of God in our prayer life and seeking after that which we desperately need to be the, the people of God that we've been called to be. So there where you stand, let's, let's join together and let's seek God for this work. Father, we bless your name. We thank you that you're near. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you would reveal yourself to us. And we rejoice that you are identified as gracious. Where would we be without your graciousness toward us, but in complete despair and hopelessness? But let us carry that hope. Let us carry that solution to all affliction that we might be the carriers of your graciousness. And let it not be withheld from this world, but let it be released to this world through our attitudes, our countenance, through our actions. Let us release the blessing that when the world would look upon us, they would receive your blessing through who we are. That your countenance would be lifted toward them. That your face would shine upon them. That the result would be peace. And let every solution that you have released to this world 
Let it be found in the saints as we walk in your graciousness. Let us be a people willing to forgive that we would find that graciousness, that benevolence, that kindness, that desire to do good inside us and that it would liberate us from all selfishness and self-seeking in any matter of hurt, wound, or offense. Let the result be the forgiveness that would be liberating from all bondage and captivity. Let it be evangelistic, that it would be effective in drawing those around us into your kingdom. And let the healing properties of your graciousness be embraced and celebrated in every aspect of our living. Let there be an effect in our minds. Let there be an effect in our flesh. Let there be an effect in our our thinking and in all that we would speak and say and do. Let graciousness prevail. Let our ears be attentive to hear the need of those around us. And let our hearts be free to respond in power. We give you thanks that you would reveal who you are to us. And let us forever be affected that we would be moved and transformed into your likeness. We thank you, Father, that you've called us to these wonderful and powerful things. Let graciousness prevail in our hearts and in our minds. And let graciousness be released through our words and our actions. All for the expansion of your kingdom and all for the glorification of your name. We bless you and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.